This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. Psalm 127 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It's vain that you rise up early and go, to, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved ones. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. It's kind of a psalm of, of two parts, isn't it? The first part talks about this idea that it uses a metaphor of building a house or watching over a city and says, look, you can work as hard as you like, but unless God is involved, unless it's actually God's project, then you can work as hard as you like, like and it'll come to nothing. And then the second part starts talking about um, a family and starts talking about children being a reward. And you might think to begin with, these are a little bit disconnected until we realize that when God talks about building a house, there's, there's different ways it's, 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 he, it's used to uh, describe things in the scripture. And they still kind of work in, in modern English today. And so the, the first one is that through the scripture, the house of God is a, a picture of Um, First of all, the temple that used to exist in Old Testament times. But then in in New Testament times, it's a picture of of what God's temple is today, which is actually his people. It's the church. So God's gone from kind of saying, I'm going to build this thing out of of stone and everyone can come and find it, to say, I'm going to have a temple that's made of living stones. It calls Christians, it calls believers living stones. And Therefore, God's temple suddenly isn't restricted to one place. It's, it's all over the world. And this is the, this is the kind of the first way that the Bible talks about the house of God. The house of God, effectively, is the people of God. It's the church. And there's only one church. So some of you that don't come to church very often may be slightly confused by that. I'd say, well, I'm sure I've been to several different churches. And, and right now, I'd like to let you know that, that the best estimates by Hope Coventry, which is an organisation that kind of coordinates the way the churches in the city work together, is that there are over 200 active Christian congregations in the city of Coventry. But there's only one church, because they're all part of the same house. If you like, they're different rooms. I don't know what room that would make city church. Okay, if we were all different rooms in the house of God, I don't know if we have any suggestions, what kind of rooms do you think we might be? The kitchen, okay, I'd, I'd go with the kitchen. The music room, okay. The best room, well, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, maybe the sauna. I don't know, I'd be happy if we were the understairs cupboard, to be honest. I'd, just to be in the house of God is an honour, isn't it? But that's the way, the first way the Bible talks. And so, so there's this idea that as, as God is building his house, he's growing his church. And, and he's spreading it all over, the, all over the world. The second way it talks about house is the one that Psalm 127 goes on to describe. And it's this idea of a household. And we still have that idea today, don't we? So, um, so some of you, if you're fans of the royal family, our current royal family, they are the house of Windsor. And, and it doesn't mean 
It doesn't mean Windsor Castle, that's their house, although I guess it is. But the house of Windsor is the family. And, and so this idea that a house is a household, is a family, is another idea. And, and, and so it's saying that unless God is building your family, you can try as hard as you like. But, uh, you know, the best you can do is get up early, go to, go to bed late and still be worried. But when we build God's way, when we build God's way, we can rest. We sang about rest. I will rest in your promises, I think we sang, didn't we? I, God wants us to rest. Um, you know, when he created, he took seven days to create, didn't he? And on the sixth day, he created mankind. And on the seventh day, he created Sabbath. He created rest. And so although God had been hard at work for six days, Adam woke up the next morning, first, first morning of his life, and he said to God, what do we do today? He says, today's your day off. <laughs> but I haven't done anything yet. He said, Exactly. I want everything you do to be done from a place of rest. God wants everything we do to be done from a place of rest. He wants us to build our house. He wants us to build his church. He wants us to build our families in a place that we come from a place of rest. And that's one of the reasons that Tom and Catherine this morning had these scriptures, these truths of God. The Bible says that all scripture is God-breathed. And when Paul and Pat and Ben and Charlotte were, were speaking those scriptures, it was as if Jesus himself were breathing them into the life of their family and when Jesus breathes on things something happens, life comes it says behold children are a heritage from the Lord and the fruit of the, uh, from the Lord the fruit of the womb is a reward now I would just like to say as the father of four children three of whom I believe are in the room um, with a cumulative a cumulative age, my wife and I like to add it up together and say between us we have, and I've lost count of where it is, but it's about 160 years of parenting experience. <laughs> if you add all the kids' ages up and then double it for each of us. But having been a father for over 21 years, I would like to say there are occasions, Tom and Catherine, there are occasions when I wonder what on earth did I do that this is the reward. <laughs> Fortunately, those occasions are few and far between. Because, you, you see, when God promises things, and when God says, look, if you do it my way, there'll be a blessing in it, there'll be, there'll be success in it. You know what it doesn't? It doesn't mean that things never go wrong. It doesn't mean that things never get difficult. In fact, this psalm talks about that actually a well-established family, and a father in particular it's talking here, but we could say parents, parents who have... Children who, who have been raised in the things of God and strong in the Lord, that is going to be somehow, that's going to protect them from their enemies. Now, if you need protecting for your, from your enemies, it pretty much means there's still going to be some difficult times, doesn't it? Yeah. Can we just take the level down a little bit? I feel like I'm, I'm... Thank you. I feel like I'm a little bit squeaky. It might be my ears. I've had a bit of a virus this week and things are sounding a little bit weird to me. But I'll lift my voice a little. That'll be better. Yeah, life, it, it doesn't mean that life becomes a dream. It doesn't mean everything's a breeze, but it does mean this. He says, look, he says, you can, you can rest in God and you can sleep because you know what? God keeps blessing you. God keeps providing for you. God keeps, 
keeps giving you what you need even while you're asleep. It's not about how much can I lay hold of. It's about an appreciation of everything that God has done. All that he's done for us. And then it says that children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Okay, so I don't know whether you tend to picture Tom and Catherine as warriors. Probably not your archetypal picture you'd think of if you thought of warrior. But you know what? God, wants, God often frames our life in this world as a battle. Not a battle against other people, but a battle against, a battle against evil. A battle against an enemy that wants to rob us of the good things that God wants to give us. And it says that arrows, our children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. And you know, one of the things that is true of an arrow is that the arrow only really begins once it, le- it only really begins its mission once it leaves the hand of the warrior. And one of the great privileges we have as parents is preparing young people. It's like Tom and Catherine said, we want to we raise August in a way that he knows the Lord, that he understands the truth about Jesus. Um, we, we, we want to prepare him for the world. We want him to understand what it's like so that we can have confidence that when we let him go, he's going to fly like an arrow. He's going to be effective. He's going to be powerful. He's going to, he's, going to reach, he's going to reach places that we haven't reached. It's a terrible thing when you see parents who are, seem threatened by their children. Try and kind of keep them and restrict them. You know, we're designed, parents, we're designed as parents to let them fly. Yeah. To prepare them. It says they're a heritage. There's something that's going to be left behind. You know, the good things that God has done for us, the blessing he's given us, the faithfulness he's shown in our lives, it's going to continue down the generations. And one generation can tell a story and a story and a story of how God has been faithful down through the years. I don't know what kind of impression you want to leave on this world. I'm not particularly keen on having a tombstone with a motto on it. But if I leave descendants who are flying like arrows in the purposes of God and seeing success in their life beyond whatever I've seen, I'll take that as a heritage. I'll take that as what's left behind as a result of of my life and and Ruth's life. It also encourages, encourages parents to fill their quiver with children. Now, I would just like to say, there is, a, there is a movement, particularly in North America, called the Quiverful Movement. I do not describe to their philosophy. Um, it's not as many kids as you can possibly have, the more the better. But it's good to know, how big's your quiver? When's a quiverful? I'm just going to leave that out there, particularly those of you, those of you that haven't had any kids yet, or those of you that are trying to work out. When, before we had any children... My, my wife and I believed that, that six would be the ideal number. Six children. That we would like six children. And then we had one. And we gradually reduced down our expectation. And we landed on four. Well, you can, you can take that to mean whatever you like. It is true that, you know, that's, you, you know Seth was number four and you can't improve on perfection. So what's the point? In... Is that right, mate? Yeah, there's a different way I could have told that story I went with that one it's another 50p that's going to cost me Okay. God wants to establish your house 
And, you know, when, when he gives us children, one of the things that it does is it gives us this new responsibility and a new context in which to pass on the truth of the word of God and to teach about his character and to demonstrate what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The third house I want to talk about, we're going to turn to another scripture for. Matthew chapter 7, if you could turn there. It's a very well-known passage. And if we are saying that, that the Bible talks about the house of God as being the whole of his people, the whole of his church, if we're saying he talks about it as a household, um, we're kind of going down, aren't we, smaller. So what we find here in Matthew 7 is that Jesus uses this same imagery to talk about an individual's life. And it's in the parable or the story of the wise and the foolish builders. So in Matthew 7, verse 24, Jesus says this. He says, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat the house and it fell and great was the fall. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like their scribes. It's a really well-known story, isn't it? And the context is... This is at the end of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters of Jesus teaching on all kinds of things. And he finishes it by saying, I want to show you a picture of of what it's like when you hear these words. So he was talking to people that had heard his words, that had heard his wisdom, heard his teaching, heard what he was saying about this is how God has designed you to live. This is the life that is on offer to you. In John 10 verse 10, it says, Jesus says this, I've come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness. I've come so that humanity can realize its full potential and live the life that the Father in heaven always intended for you to live. And he says, look, when you hear what I have to say, you've got to decide what you're going to do with my words. What are you going to do with what Jesus says? He says, now, a wise person takes these words and does them. It's not difficult. (laughs) He takes these words and does them. And that is like building a house on a rock. But a foolish person isn't the person that doesn't ever get to hear what Jesus has to say. The foolish person is the person that hears what Jesus has to say and then thinks, you know what, I think I've got a better idea. I'm, I'm not too bothered about doing those things. I'll just go and do it my way. And he says, well, you do that. You still build a house. It can look like a very impressive house. It can look like a fantastic house. It can be a massive house. It can, it can have the most number of rooms and everything that you could possibly desire, but it's like building on sand. And when the storm comes, because storms always come, okay, that's, that's part of the nature of life in this world. Storms will come. He says, when the storm comes, it doesn't matter how impressive it is, it will get washed away. And the words of Jesus in a very real and practical way, are designed to protect us from the storms of life. Why did he come? Why does he come? Why does he preach what we call the good news or the gospel? Why does Jesus come and say good news? What's good news about the message of Jesus? The, me- the, good, the good news about it is you can live the life that God always intended for you. 
God's desire for each one of us is that we stand, stand strong through the storms of life. And the key is that when you hear the words of Jesus, you do them. He becomes a bedrock in your life. Nothing can be shaken. If you build your life on the words of Jesus, he doesn't promise that the storms won't come. But he guarantees that you'll stand through them. So what is this abundant life? If Jesus said, John 10 verse 10, I've come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness or have it in abundance. What's abundant life? Well, the first thing is it's a life that doesn't end with death. You see, natural life is a wonderful thing and we're all living a natural life now. But the end of all natural life is death. But with Jesus, when he says, look, the life I've got to give you, it's an eternal life. It's an everlasting life. It's something that even death can't rob of you. Because although my body will die, I will live forever, enjoying the company of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's an eternal life. An abundant life is a life that thrives in even the toughest conditions. Why? Because it's defined by the words of God. It's defined by the promises that he's made us. And like I already said, abundant life is the life that we were created to live. When God created men and women, he intended us to live this life that was untouched and untainted by corruption, by sin and by death. But the Bible teaches us that sin came into the world, disobedience came into the world, and because of that, a separation from God. And now, whenever any of us is is born, we're born into a state of being separate from God. A place where our natural inclination is to, is to disobey. Which is why Jesus came to begin to say, look, there's good news. I'm going I'm to tell you how you can live a life that reconnects you with your Heavenly Father. I'm going to tell you how to live a life that is not contained and curtailed by the effects of sin and corruption and destruction and death. It's a life, abundant life is a life that gives back to us all that has been robbed by an enemy. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. And we might go, well, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I'm going. I know what I'm all about. He says, no, no, no. You, you've, you've, you've lost. You've missed out on what God intended for you. And the life that we have in relationship with the Father, with the life we have with Jesus as our Lord. We've used the words Lord and Saviour a lot in the songs we've been singing this morning. It simply means that we give up the right to think that we know best and we decide we will live according to his words. When Jesus said, he who does these words of mine, which ones does he mean? Which words? Well, all of them. Of course, we don't know all of them. I... I, I've been reading my Bible for many, many years. Um, but I still read stuff in there that I think, I never saw that before. I never realized that before. Or I'll hear someone preach and they'll explain something in a way that I, I've never seen that before. So I continually discover 
that there are more and more things that I need to live, those words I need to live by. But you know, one of the things I've also discovered, because I've been following Jesus long enough, is that that's not a hard thing, that's not a difficult thing, because it always means that it releases more of God's blessing and goodness, fulfillment into my life. Putting your faith in Jesus, that is really what we're talking about when we're saying, hear his words and do them. Putting your faith in Jesus means reframing your life so that it's centered on him. Yeah, I'm going to center my life on Jesus. There may be other things, there may be other things I'm doing in life, there may be decisions I need to make, but first and foremost, I'm going to say, what did he say? Because that's how I know. That it's not to do with how early I can get up in the morning or how late I can go to bed or how much I can worry. But it's about resting in the, in the promises of God, in the peace of God that will guarantee that my life is the most successful life I could lead. Part of the gospel message that the disciples in the scripture preached and that we preach today is that Jesus is Lord. It was a radical thing to say. In the Roman Empire. Because to say that anyone was Lord except Caesar was, um, what's the word? Treason. That's the word. Thank you, Ben. (laughs) It was treason. To call anyone Lord except Caesar was treason, which was usually punished by death. I I wonder how ready to shout Jesus is Lord we would be today if it was still punishable by death. But I think one of the things it shows us is that the people of that time, the authorities of that time, understood the power there was in this. When we call Jesus Lord, what we're saying is, I'll do what you say. Remember, we're talking about what does it mean to build this house, the house of my life, on the rock that is Jesus himself. We call him Lord, it means saying, I'll do what you say. And the wonderful thing about the message of Jesus, and when he says these words of mine, the wonderful thing about these words of Jesus is they don't have an expiration date. He preached this nearly 2,000 years ago. So if we're kind of being kind of very picky, it would have been around about the year AD 27, probably 26. So we're just six years or so short of 2,000 years since Jesus preached these words. But you know what he says, look, you know, if, you, if, you, if you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, it's going to be just like building your life, building a house, building your life upon the rock that cannot be shaken. Those words are as powerful and as true today as they were when Jesus said them. And the offer of what comes with it, life in all its fullness, a life that is free from the influences of sin and even death, is still the offer that the words of Jesus make to us today. And whether you've walked for many, many years with Jesus, we've got a couple of gentlemen over here who I know have walked with him for 50 plus, 60 plus years. Or whether it's the first time you've ever heard anything like this. My question to you is the same. Are you building your house on the rock are you taking the words of Jesus and making them the thing that shapes your reality and every decision you make
Are you living that life? Life in all its fullness. I don't know, I think I have to be honest and say there are times when I don't feel like I'm living life in its fullness. And I can usually connect those times directly to not doing what Jesus says. Are you living life in all its fullness? Are you building your life upon the rock? That's my question. I want to leave each of us with that. I want to get the band to come back up. I'm just going to pray. And you know, if in what we're expressing and sharing this morning, not just in what I'm saying, but in everything that's happened this morning, then um, there's something in that that you think, you know, I've, I, I, I may have heard this a dozen times before, I may have never heard this before, but there's something in living a life on the rock of Jesus. There's something in living a life free from the power of, of sin and death and destruction. There's something more of that I want to know, I want to understand. I want to encourage you, don't leave without speaking to someone. Maybe someone that invited you. and You know that they know Jesus and they know this life. Talk to them about it. If you haven't got anyone like that, come and talk to myself or to Paul and Pat and Ben and Charlotte that you saw praying with Tom and Catherine. Come and talk to Tom and Catherine, although I feel they probably will be um, fairly uh, the centre of attention afterwards. But don't miss an opportunity to discover something more about what life with Jesus Christ is like. I'm going to pray. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for the wonderful gift that you placed before us of life in all its fullness. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, that you are blessing and building, uh, particularly the household of Tom and Catherine in August, that that's going to be a, a household of blessing, built according to the plan and the design of God. Guaranteed to succeed, guaranteed to overcome even the toughest times and the most difficult storms. And thank you, Lord, that that offer is here for every one of us this morning. That for every life, every man, woman, boy and girl here, Jesus, your offer is, listen to my words, receive my words. And you're going to know what it is to build upon the rock. You're going to know what it is to live an abundant life. You're going to know what it is to be forgiven and released from sin. Set free from the tyranny of death. To have an eternal life. And so Lord, we thank you for this time together this morning. We just offer afresh now our praise and our thanksgiving to you in song. Be glorified, Lord, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.